You are listening to Haftorah. The Shira series where we explore the connections between the Parsha Shavuah and its corresponding Haftorah. And here at the database with Rabbi Yeshua Eisenberg, this week's Parshios are Vayakel, Pekudai, and Parsha Sachodesh. So we have on the one hand the double Parsha, the two final Parshas of Sefer Shemos, and on the other hand we have the fourth and final of the Dalad Parshios, Parsha Sachodesh. This is one of the longest possible lanings that exists, if not the longest possible laning. And what we've been doing in half Torah for the past few weeks, especially during this season of the Dalad Parshios, is we've been dedicating more than one shear a week for half Torah to discuss, on the one hand, the Haftaros for the Parshios HaShavuah in the event when those Parshios HaShavuah do not coincide with the Dalad Parshios, when their unique Haftaros are read. And then we've been dedicating a shear to the unique Haftarah that coincides with the Maftir of the Dalad Parshios. Now, we have really a couple of options for this week. I could be doing three half Torah one for Vayakya, one for Bakudeh, and one for Hachodesh. What I have decided to do is I'm going to dedicate this shear to Vayakya and Bakudeh. And, of course, that means we're going to have to discuss a couple of half And really, as you see, it's going to end up being three different half Why? Well, it's going to be subject to a little bit of a complicated machlokus between the Ashkenazic tradition and the Svar tradition, um, a challenge that we've had in the past. And um, later this week, hopefully tomorrow, Bezras Hashem, we're going to dedicate a shir to the special Haftarah for Parshas HaChodesh. So now just uh, to get a little bit of a feel of what's so complicated about the Haftarah for Vayakel and Pekudeh. So Vayakel and Pekudeh, most often are read together as double parsha, but sometimes they are not. Sometimes they're read separately, and each one has its own special haftarah. Now, the, what the complicated part, once again, is that we have a difference between Ashkenazic and Sephardic traditions for both Vayakil and for Pekudeh. Now, the challenge of the difference between Vayakil and Pekudeh for, um, for the Ashkenazic and Sephardic traditions, um, the, the, the difference is not as dramatic as we saw, for example, in the haftaros for Parshas Shemos, which are taken from two completely separate Nevi'im, depending on Ashkenaz versus Svar. Um, we've had different variants uh, for um, different Haftaras in the past where we've talked about um, the emphasis and why Ashkenaz picks one reading and Svar picks another reading. But the, 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 the discrepancy here is not as great, though it is somewhat confusing. So um, I will say that, as we've mentioned in the past, we are in the middle of this Mishkan series. We said that it started in Truma. It was interrupted for the past two weeks for um, Tetzaveh and Kisisa, where we had readings from Malachim. Um, we had um, a different part of Malachim in uh, Kisisa, and we had a reading from Yecheska for Tetzaveh. We are going back to that Mishkan series, which comes from Malachim Aleph, and all revolves around Shlomo HaMelech's construction of the first base on Migdash. However, for Vayakil and Pekudeh, they're obviously going to be different parts. And for Ashkenaz and Sfar, they're different parts of that story. So which parts make it to the Haftarah? So earlier we had Perak Hay, uh, I believe, and Vav in the Haftarah for Parshas Truma. So just look back into my records over here. I'm seeing that Truma was taken from Hay and Vav. And now... Um, according to both Ashkenaz and Sfar traditions, the Haftar for Vayakil comes from the seventh parak, Parak Zion, in Malachim Aleph. However, they are different parts of Parak Zion. So, um, just to go in order, I guess, of the chronology, or at least the textual aspect of the Haftaros, the Sfar Haftarah 
um, starts from Zion Yud Gimel. So 713, it goes to Pasuk Chavav. So 713 to 26. The Ashkenaz Haftarah does not go back that far. The Ashkenaz Haftarah starts from Zion Mem. 740 goes all the way to Zion Nun, 10 Pesukim long, as opposed to the 13 Pesukim of the Sephardic Haftarah. Now that's all for Vayakel, whether you start from Zion Yud Gimel or you start from Zion Mem. I'm trying to make this as as not complicated as possible. Because it gets a little bit more confusing when we get to the Haftaras for Pakude. Because although for Ashkenaz it kind of makes sense that the Haftarah will continue, so it'll so if, if the Haftarah for Vayakil ends at 750 at Zion Nun, so the Ashkenazic Haftarah for Pakude, the very next parsha, picks up from the very end of the last Haftarah. So it starts from Zion Nun Aleph, 751. And then it goes into Parak Ches all the way to Pasuk Chaf Aleph in Ches, so 821. However, the Sephardic Haftarah for Pekude is the same as the Ashkenazic Haftarah for Vayakel. So it goes from Zion Nun, 740, all the way, sorry, Zion Mem, 740, all the way to Zion Nun, 750. So it is a little bit confusing. But and hopefully it'll be less so when we start talking about what the actual contents of the Haftarah are. There's certainly a lot of overlap between them. We have to think about maybe a little bit what is the difference between the two and why the two readings are, or, or the three readings are the way they are. But we're going to focus more broadly on how these speak to the themes of Vayakil and Bakude as a whole. Um, as we go into it, um, I'll dedicate this shir, and let's actually take a look at what these readings are about. So if we go back to, let, we'll just start with the Sephardic Haftarah because it starts earlier. So it, um, it starts from Zion Yud Gimel, 713. And interestingly, it gives us the backstory of a person whose name was Chiram. And what's a little bit confusing is that there, there were two different Chirams. There was a Chiram who was a king, and then there was a Chiram who was a craftsman. And both of them were involved um, with Shlomo HaMelech, but um, apparently we're talking about the craftsmen now, and it tells us that there was this Ben Isha Amana, Humi Mate Naftali, Aviv Ish Tzori, Chorish Nechoshes, Varmileis HaChachma Vyesa Tevuna Vyesa Das, Lassus Komalach Vanachoshes. So we have the, this son of a widow from Levi, and his father was from Tyre, he was from Tsar, and the Navi tells us that he was given, he was filled with this chachma, this understanding, this, this, this wisdom and knowledge to do various kinds of malacha. And he did a lot of work for Shlomo HaMelech. And the Sephardic Haftarah begins with Shlomo HaMelech's, um, the, the construction of his palace, believe it or not, of all things. Not the Mikdash, necessarily. It might have been connected to the Mikdash, or it was at least close to the Mikdash. Um, but this man, Hiram, he works on Shlomo HaMelech's um, palace. Now, if you'd ask me what this sounds like, who he sounds like, he sounds like B'Tzalel in terms of the way the Navi describes his special talents and the special wisdom with which he was imbued, um, the parallel to B'Tzalel, who in our parasha, Parshas Vayakel, we were introduced to him in Kisisa, but in Vayakel, B'Tzalel gets to work, and he's mentioned again there, and, um, and, and the Torah obviously describes the wisdom and, and, and knowledge and special skills and crafts that uh, Hashem imbued uh, B'Tzalel with, as well as all of the Chachmelev, the talented artisans, and so we um, see already a basis for parallel there. Perhaps we can also make um, the point that comes up in Yechezkel, the concept of the Mikdash Ma'at, 
that um, our own houses, our palaces, our Shlomo HaMelech's palace, is a mini-Mikdash, and Shlomo HaMelech's palace particularly was a place of judgment, a place um, similar to the Mishkan, I guess, if you think about the Choshen Mishpat, that the Choshen represented judgment, and any time a person is doing judgment properly and upholding Rosh Hashem, they become a partner with Hashem, so we have to also demonstrate and display proper judgment in our own homes, and this goes back to the concept of also Bovavi Mishkan Evna. So there's judgment in our own homes, there's judgment in our own hearts. And perhaps there's enough to talk about there in terms of the connection between the Svartik Haftarah um, and Parshas Vayakel. But then when we get to Zion Mem, which again is the Ashkenazic Haftarah for Vayakel, also happens to be the Svartik Haftarah for Pekude, we have a continuation, Vayas Chirom Es HaKiyoros Ves HaYayim Ves HaMezerkos so here it's talking about Hiram's um, construction of the various pieces of the of the mikdash, and it says that Hiram finished making all the melacha that um, that Shlomo HaMelech had commanded him to do. So this concept of finishing of the work that reminds us of Pekude, so we can understand why Sparta tradition chose it for Pekude. We're going to see why Ashkenazic tradition chooses a different reading, but we can at least see um, the, the, that reference over there to Hiram finishing the work. We can understand why that is the um, the Sparta Kaftara for Pekude. What exactly does it have to do with the um, the Ashkenazic Kaftara for Vayakel? So it continues to talk about construction of the Mishkan, which is relevant enough. We could uh, we could appreciate um, we, we could appreciate what this has to do with Vayakil. But from here on in, we're going to be focusing mainly on the Ashkenazic Haftaris. We're going to zero in and zoom in a little bit more on the Ashkenazic Haftar for Vayakil and then for Pekudai, and um, and then we will um, call it a night at least for this year. So let's take a look at these two pieces because we had the Mishkan series again, beginning with Parshas Truma, which was Shlomo Hamelch collecting the tax and beginning that process of. Of, uh, of 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 the blueprints for the Mishkan. So now we get to the Mishkan series, stage two, right? Stage two is really what we have in Vayakel. And this is the work, this is the construction, right? Because with Vayakel and Bakude, again, I mentioned that we return to this Mishkan series, which is recounting Shlom HaMelech's building of the first base of Migdash. And we mentioned back in the um, Haftarah for Parshish Truma, when the Mishkan series took off, that we were addressing a question concerning one of the points that bothers many, and that is the redundancy of the Mishkan-related Sidros. And aside from describing the intricacies and details of the Mishkan materials, the Torah goes as far as repeating and analyzing some um, the, the, the same intricacies and details between Vayakil and Pekude. Um, it doesn't just say, and all the work was done, but it actually goes through all the details again, every detail of how things were constructed exactly the way they were already described in Shruma and Tetzava, and they repeated again in Vayakil and Bakude. So the challenge as a result is that it's kind of difficult to truly identify any new themes that are being brought out in each subsequent Sidra of the Mishkan series. And if there really are no new themes in Vayakil and Bakude, then we have to ask, why is the Torah just wasting its valuable space and our valuable time by relating the same seemingly bland materials again? However, we suggested back then that looking at the corresponding Haftaros of the Mishkan series can perhaps help us understand the different themes, understand what it is the Parsha really um, what screams out to us. Right, for Tetzava and Kisisa, 
completely different nevi'im were used because there were there were themes that were overarching, perhaps more important focal points that we needed to see in the parsha through other nevi'im. But if we go back to this series, the Mishkan series, where we're talking about the different stages of the construction of the base of Migdash, they somehow correspond to different stages in our parshios, and those are apparently what we have to bring our attention to. Right. So that being the case. You know, when, dis- when discussing the Haftarah for Truma, we suggested that the Haftarah sort of teach us to view the Sidras of the Mishkan series as different components, different stages of that larger process. So then I would argue then that the theme of each of these Sidras would have to also correspond to those stages. So if stage one of the Mishkan series, in light of the Haftarah for Parshas Truma, was the early planning stage where the Torah described the blueprints for the Mishkan, so what would stand to reason then is that Parshas Vayakil must mark stage two. Right, so if Parshas Truma and its Haftorah, we learned that the that the, both the Parsha and the Navi, they contain not just the architectural plans, but the overarching goal of the Mishkan and the Beis HaMikdash, that it's to make a place for the Divine Presence in this world. Now that we know what the project is, we have to figure out what happens next. So what is stage two of that process? So if stage one was the planning stage, the stage of potential, then stage two must begin to actualize that potential, to turn the planning into action, to bring the goal to life. And indeed, I believe that's what's reflected in both Vayakil and its Haftarah. Because just as Vayakil begins the actual work of the Mishkan in its Haftarah, the Navi describes in detail how Chiram made the appurtenances, the accessories of the Beis HaMikdash, and how Shlomo Melch constructed all the different Kalim. Another fascinating parallel, by the way, between our Sidra and its Haftarah, I believe, lies in the actual format for the building processes. Because if one looks closely at the blueprints in Parshish Truma, and then at the actual work process in Parshish Vayakel, and if you look closely, you'll notice it, there is a slight change in the order. Parshish Truma began its discussion with the descriptions of some of the vessels before even describing the Mishkan itself. While in the actual building process described in Vayakel, the Mishkan was actually constructed first. And this is actually a point that Chazal pick up on in the Medrash. They point out that there was a dispute between Moshe Rabbeinu and the leader on the construction site, B'Tzalel Ben-Uri Ben-Chur. And the Machlokas concerned which structures ought to be built first. Should it be the Arna Kodesh, the first item that's actually listed in Parshish Truma, or should it be the Mishkan itself? If you see Rashi to Shmos 38.22, cites the Rishami and Peah Aleph Aleph, and Brachos, Nun, Hayamad Aleph. And there, there we find that Moshe Rabbeinu had assumed that the Aron, the heart and nucleus of the Mishkan, should be the first thing built. While Betzalel thought perhaps more logically that the body of the Mishkan needed to be built first so as to serve as the container for the Aron and the rest of the quote-unquote furniture of the Mishkan. Because otherwise, where are all the vessels going to stay in the meantime? Logistically, the Mishkan has to be made first. And Chazal tells us that ultimately Hashem confirmed that B'tzala was correct. Well, if we consider the order of Haftaros, we might note that the Beis HaMikdash's building process as well is modeled after Shitas B'tzalel, the, the position of B'tzalel, because only after the external framework and area would be made and arranged would the internal vessels be made, as well as the additional adornments. So the container had to come before its contents. Now, while at the surface, perhaps this background dispute between Moshe and B'tzalel 
does not seem to be incredibly significant to our discussion. However, I want to argue that if we consider our stage theory of the Mishkan series, it speaks volumes about the difference between stage one, the blueprints, and stage two, the work process. That's because Moshe Benu suggested making the Arun Kodesh first, because again, the Arun is the essence of the project, at least so it would seem. It's the seed of the Divine Presence. It represents the goal of the project, which one cannot forget throughout the process of bringing the project to its fruition. And indeed, part of looking at the blueprints means being able to see the completed project at its conception. And I believe in, in, in Truma and its Haftara, Hashem conveyed exactly what the final goal of the project would be. That Hashem's Shechina should come down and rest there. And that is a stage one mindset, being able to see the whole thing before it's done. And I'll argue soon, when we get to, when we get to Pekude, that in a similar vein, just like Truma is looking at the entire project, imagining it before it's there, Pekude is going to be looking at the entire project once it is there. But at stage one, sorry, at stage two, I should say, rather, stage two, there's a very big difference between what we find in both stage one and stage three and in stage two. Stage one and stage three have the, the idea in common that you could look at the entire thing or you could look at the forest. But stage two, you have to look at each individual tree. And when we get to stage two, when we want to actually make the dream a reality, one necessarily has to work in steps and within practical logistical boundaries. You know, con- considering those logistics and everything that's needed to actually assure that the goal is met. It's the how, it's the process. And most of the time it means that one has to first lay down the foundation, design and construct the scaled structure, and work from there. And of course the end goal is always in mind, right? We have, uh, um, we have, sof ma'aseb ma'achshava t'chila. Sometimes we have, in practice, something is last, but it's first in thought, Right, so um, we have that, that, that concept with the, with the Arno Kodesh and the Mishkan, perhaps, and the Mikdash as well. Now, while the end goal is always in mind, until then we have to work out the logistics. And that is the important theme of Parshas Vayakhel, namely the difference between the goal in conception and the actual toiling and production of that goal, which is most often more difficult to carry out. Things are easier said than done. If we keep the goal of the, proof, the blueprints in mind while following the appropriate working process, our and Saftar suggest that we will be successful. And that's really all we need for stage two. And of course, um, we should be Zoha to keep our spiritual goals in mind while we toil and be sure to take all of the appropriate steps in our building processes to reach our spiritual destination. And, and we hope that that'll manifest itself with the third base of Migdash as well, Bumheir Biamenu. But now we go on to Pashas Pekude. And finally, with Pekude, we reach stage three of the Mishkan series, whose Haftarah brings us to the end of Shlomo HaMelech's building of the first base of Mikdash. And Parshas Pekude, as per its name, marks a different point of that process. Right? Vayakhel was that Moshe was gathering the people to get started on the project. Right? It's one thing to have an idea of the project. It's another thing to get the people to actually do it. And that's what Vayakhel adds to Truma. Truma is, hey, here's the idea. Vayakhel is, okay, now let's do it. Now what about Pekude? The name Pekude, which means it refers to a Pekida, a reckoning, the weighing, the measuring, and analysis of all of the Mishkan materials. 
What is a little bit strange, though, is that normally when dealing with any project, no less a building process, normally we would argue that all of the measuring and weighing of materials reasonably should take place before or after the project. I would argue that all of the measuring and weighing should take place before the project. It's interesting that in the Torah, when it came to the Mishkan, we find all of that taking place at the end. And normally we would argue that it should take place before because one needs to know what materials are needed, how much of each material is necessary for the project, and so forth. We would assume that, in fact, the Mishkan had to be built that way also. And if that's the case, what is the nature of the reckoning recorded in Parshas Pekudeh at the end of the project? So as we explained in the Haftarah for Parshas Vayakel a little while ago, there is an important difference between stage one and stage two, namely the difference between conception and fruition, between plan and action. We mentioned that most of the time, the goal cannot be met immediately upon the beginning of the working process, but for logistical reasons, one has to take a seemingly roundabout path in order to assure that the goal be met. It means that you have to look at intricate details, you have to deal with the nuts and the bolts, and for our purposes, the hooks, loops, pegs, and sockets. Thus, the imagination of the goal met and the process to getting there will often look very different from one another, at least at the beginning. Right? The closer you get to the end, the more the plan and the practice will align, right? But it doesn't just start with that. But once we get to stage three, the finale, when the completed work resembles the full picture as seen in the original blueprints, one has the opportunity, and not only the opportunity, but perhaps in a certain vein, one has a responsibility to actually take a step back, to reflect on that project and understand exactly how the toil of stage two was able to create the vision of stage one. That's what stage three is. Thus, I want to argue that the reckoning in Parshaspekude is a retrospective one, whose nature is one of reflection and, yes, the celebration of a job well done. In Pekude, we reassess the effort that went into creating Hashem's terrestrial abode. In Pekude, Moshe blesses the Bnei Israel for that effort, that Hashem should ultimately establish the work of their hands, and it's at that realization of stage three when Hashem ultimately descends to the top of the Mishkan in a cloud for His divine presence to reside there when they know that they've made it. And in our Haftarah, at the very end, we see all of the same themes in the Beis HaMikdash. Shlomo HaMelech celebrates the completion of its building. Moreover, exactly as was with the Mishkan, the conclusion of the Mikdash is marked and validated by the resting of Hashem's cloud overhead. And I believe that's the goal of any project, really, in life, that Hashem should reside in the work of our hands. And it means that we have to be able to place our hearts on Hashem's will Envision his goal like we saw in stage one and then begin to carry it out in stage two and ultimately make sure that in the end our work represents that vision in stage three. To have Hashem's Shechina there. And again, yes, to create that Shechina, the place for that Shechina in our homes, in our shuls, and within our own hearts. When we do that, we can reflect and celebrate 
validation from Hashem's divine presence. And we can merit the blessing that Hashem puts in the work of our hands. So we shouldn't all be zocha to see the fruits of our spiritual labor, have Hashem's blessing in the work of our hands, and ultimately experience that special spiritual validation and approval from Hashem. And yes, His presence should rest among us once again. The third base of Mikdash Mehavimenu. Stay tuned for Half Torah for Parsha Sachavadash. And until next time, wishing you a wonderful rest of your week and a wonderful Shabbos. Thank you for joining us here at the database.